0: You're listening to Coleman Power on the Organic Fitness Podcast. All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Coleman Power Organic Fitness Podcast. I have my latest guest here in front of me, okay, Virginia Zulu. She is a nutritional therapist as well as a keen organic grower, similar to myself. So, Virginia, say hello to the listeners.
1: Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: No problem at all. In this week's episode, we're going to be chatting about, I suppose, intermittent fasting, uh, the benefits of organic food, and maybe some along the lines of vegetables, simple crops for people to grow. So, we'll, as anybody should start, at the likes of the beginning. And even before we any further into that, for those of you watching this on YouTube, it's quite dark in my screen due to the fact that I don't tend, ten, it's late in the evening and don't tend to turn on too many lights. It's candlelight. It's kind of romantic at the time. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> we will get this show on the road talking about, I suppose, the basics of Virginia. Tell me, what is in a fast and what are the benefits of it and who do you recommend it to?
1: Okay. So intermittent fasting is time restricted, restrictive eating. So there's a number of ways of doing intermittent fasting. You can do, um, the most popular one is 16, eight, or you can do the uh, five, five, two. So it's diff. There's different approaches, you know, but the most popular one is 16, eight for women, I suppose, which is the one we're going focusing on about because, um, obviously I get the you men have no trouble fasting whatsoever. It's mainly women that have all these very lovely, sensitive hormones, and we're always the one that needs to be careful, basically. But for men, you're absolutely fine. So you can do any sort of fasting that you want, basically. So, yes, so that's the basics of fasting. So, it's restrictive, it is to to restrict your food for those hours. So, 16 hours you fast, and during the eight hour window, you eat your food. Now, it's just time restrictive eating. So, the studies have been done on normal diets, so you don't need to actually cut out any food. So, the research is on eating everything, okay, which sounds A little bit contradictive because obviously, coming from my background, it's like, yeah, but you shouldn't be eating this. You shouldn't be eating sugar or whatever. But the studies have been done for people that were eating normal food, like everything, you know, carbs, sugar, but they were fasting for 16 hours or more. So it's just called time restricted eating. So you don't eat for 16 hours. And then the body goes through a number of changes it goes to autophagy, it goes to cell regeneration. It starts to use ketones instead of glucose and it starts to burn fat basically. Start to use fat as energy as opposed to glucose, which is from sugar and carbs. Um, well, some type of carbs. But yes, that's the, the, the nutshell of intermittent fasting.
0: Interesting. And I suppose, who do you recommend to and with your clients? Um, where do you recommend them to start? Because it can be confusing. And I suppose my preference and coming from maybe a sports background, it's important to maybe understand foods first before kind of picking a diet. But what would your approach be to coach someone to get into, I suppose, intermittent fasting? Um mainly my clients,
1: I suppose, will be for weight loss, which is a big one. So they're trying to use it for as a weight loss tool. I don't necessarily like it to use it as specifically for weight loss. I would like, as you said, get the right food in first. So get them to eat really good food because that's going to fuel your body first anyway. But the fasting can help for now. I find clients with let's say IBS, bloating, digestive issues like constipation, diarrhea all these kinds of issues, okay, digestive symptoms, it really, really helps because intermediate fasting and prolonged fasting can help with the actual movement and peristalsis. I don't know if you're familiar, you're familiar with the term anyway. So it's just the muscle contraction that helps you to actually go. (laughs) So intermediate fasting actually helps with that because it has, it can send signal, uh, neurological, obviously, signals to the body to actually release so it actually helps you to go to the loop and a lot of people that have started fasting said yes i'm going more regular since i've started fasting which is very fascinating but it really helps with SIBO as well which is small intestine bacteria overgrowth Um, and it has been shown to be very extremely helpful for digestive condition then moving on it can help hormonally it's a a little bit tricky because if you do too much fasting it can push your hormones into like a histr- high estrogen state high cortisol high stress hormones so for women you need to, you do that you know you don't fast the week before your periods for example you eat nourishing foods like you would you would have like um progesterone um Uh, high progesterone foods the way you call it those food that boost progesterone actually so let's say squashes uh pumping seeds sunflower seeds oils like avocado oils they'll all boost progesterone but you should fast on the first two weeks of your cycle for women because that's when your estrogen is at its peak and that's when you have you know for women estrogen means energy it's like okay i'm ready do everything and take on the world you know the first two weeks of the cycle so that's when you fast because that's when your body's more like you're going to burn more fat as well and your, your body is more and um, it's It's more reactive, let's say to a fast, where if you do it on just before your cycle, you're not going to react in the same way and you could actually disrupt your hormones, especially progesterone. So that's why it's not recommended. That's when we go into, you ask me about who would I recommend it to. So not for pregnant women, 100 percent, not for um, breastfeeding women, not for trying to conceive because of the progesterone as well, because the progesterone can drop down and not for people with adrenal fatigue, which is a very important thing to mention because adrenal fatigue, not many people know what that means. So adrenal fatigue is where you're literally burnout. I would actually like to call it burnout because people have a better understanding. So if you're being extremely under stress, you have really high levels of cortisol in your body, you're not sleeping properly, and your melatonin is all over the place. And you have really, really um, imbalanced blood sugars all throughout the day. So your, your adrenals are, are suffering. So if you put um, a fast, which is adding stress, because fasting does add stress to the body, it is a stressful state because you're actually pushing your body to use the fat as energy, as opposed to I'm having my food, I'm getting the energy from food, grant, I'm safe. I don't need to stress about it. But fasting, you are going to put the body into a, a stressful state where you say, okay, I need to do this. Because, you know, uh, it's not a starving state. I don't like to call it starving state because that's not the right term. But uh, yeah, you're stressing the body to use the, the fat and the ketones for energy. But if you're already stressed, if your body's under extremely stressful times or for women, you know, If your hormones are all over the place, you have medical conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, you want to be very careful about fasting. So generally, as a general rule, 14 hours is safe for women to do. 14 hours, because you're not really upsetting so much the cortisol. But after that, you're starting to get into ketone levels and you're, you know, you're you're getting into a little deep fast, put it that way.
0: Okay, yeah, and I suppose what would your general principle rules for getting people to ease themselves into a 14 hour fast, I suppose, to break it down for people, the listeners who ever, have never done fasting before? What time do you start it? When do you finish it? What do you have on your last meal? What do you have for your first meal?
1: Okay, so the best time to start would be from dinner time. So you finish eating at, by eight o'clock, which is everybody, uh, fasting regardless or not fasting because you shouldn't be eating after 8 p.m. because that's when your body is going to actually store. For, in terms of weight loss, is going to store everything because the metabolism slows down in the evening time. The, the, that kind of metabolism, not all of, you know, most of our regeneration happens at night time. And the body needs to actually be on an empty stomach overnight. That's why it's so important to eat within eight o'clock. So you have to stop eating at eight o'clock. So you need you need to give the body a chance overnight to regenerate, to give it a break to the digestive system. That's why I like the eight o'clock, let's say till, well, 14 would be uh, 11. <laughs> My lovely maths, 11 o'clock, around 10, 11. And then you do yeah you, you increase the 70s so ease off from dinner time to a late breakfast even eat your breakfast a little bit later brunch you know you could have a brunch and um, that's the easiest um fast you know for a beginner do that because most people say okay i don't mind i'm actually delaying my breakfast a couple of hours so it's not really that much of a deal so that's the best um suggestion Start with, you know, if you want to get into a fast, very
0: good idea because you're sleeping for a high percentage of that time anyway. Yeah, exactly. How did you firstly get into a supposed intermittent fasting, and what was your diet previously like to where it is right now?
1: I got introduced to intermittent fasting years ago, um, because I have a health condition called lipoedema, so I was trying to get. Num- numerous answers from um nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner but nobody really had the answer for me but at the time obviously my diet would always have been low sugar to control my condition because you know and anyway I wouldn't have never been a really high sugary person to be honest I would not be savory you know cheese and uh, but yes so my diet would have always been very good like whole foods and um, obviously My family always had their own veg, you know, organic veg. My grandfather we always grew vegetables in Italy. So, but anyway, I started with uh, fitness. So that's how I got into it. And I was doing the 16-8 mainly, doing a lot of weight lifting, a lot of protein, and just didn't suit me. I think it was just the wrong way of doing it. (laughs) It was too much for me. Um, And then I stopped. So I did that for maybe four months. And then I stopped that. And then I got cancer when I was pregnant, when the first child. I got Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I started fasting before my chemotherapy treatment, under suggestion of another uh, nutritional therapist that was, you know, following me at the time. And um, I started doing simply, basically uh, finishing up eight o'clock in the evening, same thing, and then don't eat anything because my treatment would have been in the morning, really a full day because you take your bloods. You have to stay there for the full day. So don't eat anything, just water, not even coffee, just water. And then going to the treatment, fasted. That really, really helped me. And I really noticed that I didn't have any nausea. I didn't have any really, not much side effects, not even tiredness. And then by the time I got home in the evening, I had a bone broth. So that's all I had, or a little minestra, bone broth with a little bit of um, like organic pasta from Sardinia. That's literally small bit, but mainly bomb broth. Just literally drink bomb broth. And then the next day I would have breakfast. So brilliant really truly. it was actually a 24 hours fast uh, when I was doing my treatment. really? because if you consider it a fast, you could actually have liquids up to 500 calories. Some fasting regimes will allow you to have juices up to 500 calories. So there's a, technically, I was actually fasting 24 hours. And um, a pure fast, pure fasters wouldn't agree with me because it's pure water. You know, you're actually not a purist if you break it with the, anyway. But yes, that's how I got into it. And I noticed as well from my bloods that my white blood cells never got really to the bottom, which is every person for every chemotherapy treatment, your white blood cells are going to go to the floor. So my consultant as well was really happy to see the mind-wide blood cells were really steady. They never, never went to the bottom. They were always up in the normal range or went maybe the last few weeks of treatment slightly below, but never on the floor like other people would. And as you know, if you have them on the floor, it's dangerous. It could be prone to infections and, you know, and you would feel rotten as well. Because your immune system is on the floor so that fasting that's when i really started to get in to the science of fasting because that's that really really helped me yes yes and that really helped that you, me yeah
0: you did touch on the fact that uh, i the common questions that i have uh, to get asked about intermittent fasting are i suppose can you drink liquids such as like green teas or coffees or even bone broth that you mentioned so would you determine that as okay for people who are starting on an intermittent fasting kind of diet which you're coaching
1: yes it is absolutely and sometimes now you you are actually allowed to keep to to do what's called mimic fasting which is also very beneficial so what you're doing is you eat fat on the day and you don't eat protein so protein stimulates glucogenesis so it stimulates the production of glucose anyway, if you eat a certain amount, which people, most people don't know. But if you eat too much protein, protein can also stimulate glucogenesis at some stage. Obviously, much more inefficient than if you were to eat glucose direct, but it does happen. So to keep the benefit of a fast, you, you, call, you can do this mimic fasting to start and easy you off into it. So you just eat fat on the day. So you're talking about just very little protein, and good fats, obviously. We're talking about wood fats all the time. Uh, vegetables, yes. But you have to keep the the carbs nearly to zero and the protein to zero. Yeah? Right, well, that's
0: going, but soft... that's going to be more difficult. That's going to be more difficult because the likes of, we'll call it fat sources, may include, for most people, they would pick nuts or seeds. However, there are certain amounts of protein in those. So for fat sources, yeah. for fasting, you're recommending either oils or on what other
1: yes you're talking about mct oil and um, which is another very hot topic at the moment because um people say oh it breaks the fast oh no it doesn't break fast mct oil does not break a fast if you take one teaspoon in your coffee it does not break it fast but if you were to do um a gut reset fast that's the way it's called that's just the way they call it you don't have coffee and you don't have mct because that will upset your gastrointestinal tract. So that's why when you don't have MCT, but a normal fastener that just wants to do weight loss for weight management, for brain health, MCT will not break those benefits, okay? So in terms, yeah, there's a little bit, so there's so many different types of fast. There's the pure fast that they tell you just water, no coffee. Coffee, no. Coffee would still increase your blood sugars, okay? So that's why I love MCT oil because MCT oil in the coffee slows down the response, the blood sugar response in the coffee. It's amazing. And that's how it gives you some energy in the morning time, good coffee I'm talking about. And then the MCT oil slows down that blood sugar spike so you can fast for longer. That's why MCT oil is well used within the intermittent fasting, um, intermittent fasters. But yeah,
0: so interesting. No, that's that's great. I've I've heard in several different, I suppose, approaches to it. And then the other common question is should people do workouts fasted in a fasted state? What would your thoughts be on that topic?
1: Yeah, well, obviously I'm not a personal trainer, so I'm not trained in that area, but in terms of bench- and if science says it's the most beneficial, yes, it is working out on a fasting state, again, for women on the right time of the month. So there's no point for you to actually do um high-intensity workout the week before your cycle. You're just going to kill your hormones. So you want to keep it gentle that week. So Let's talk about normal weeks. So let's say the first two weeks of your cycle. Absolutely do the workout on a fasting state. But the problem with that is if you would do a high-intensity on a fasting stage, you're gonna get really hungry. And then you have to break your fast. That's the problem. You can't just work out and leave it to do like a 24 hours. So you can really have to schedule your workouts. Like one of my clients asked me this question before. He said, I do a lot of exercise. How can I actually, because I feel really hungry. She so said, I went for a swim and I could eat table. And I said, that's normal, it is normal. But what you do is you eat after the fast. So you do your fast, let's say in the morning time, you schedule a workout and then you eat. But instead of fasting normally, your normal hours, you just change your fast. So you just change, let's say you have two meals, breakfast and lunch. You don't eat your dinner and then you eat the next day. So you can work around fasting, but you have to eat after your workouts. There's no way of doing the workouts and continue for like four hours without eating no because that won't work because you need you need to refuel in some way now this is the personal trainer job about the carbs after a workout or a protein or fat that's not my area but usually what I would do is I would feed you are you are actually okay if you want to have a little bit more carbs after your workout, because they're going to rep- they're going to be they're going to go to replenish your muscle rather than into fat stores, because you're really using up your your abuse codes anyway. You're in a good workout, and I'm talking about good workouts, not walking.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I would have a similar approach, and you're supposed to break it down simply is you're recommended to do a workout to. And exactly what happens is we use the, energy, the body's first source of energy, your glycogen stores that are stored in your muscles. So as a result of that, when you deplete your glycogen stores, you would then allow yourself to have what I like to call a balanced meal directly after that, having proteins, having healthy fats, and having complex carbohydrates to not have those excess amount of carbohydrates stored as body fat, but they are going directly as a glycogen converted quicker in and being sent into your muscles. So just timing your workouts, at a time that suits you to refuel because the most important time to eat is directly after a workout exactly that you've torn muscle fibers you need energy because if you do any type of exercise you need exactly that fuel that's what food is okay and i suppose that brings me on to the next topic such as foods and the most important foods and the gold standard would be organic foods i suppose you do a little bit of growing your own how did you get interested in that topic? And what are the crops and the foods that you currently grow in Virginia?
1: Okay. Uh, so I suppose we have we are in Ireland 16 years now. Myself and my husband were both Italian from Sardinia. And we always had, both our, both our families were growers. Like, like even my laws were, I would call it like heavy, like he would have grown everything. You know obviously olive trees fruit trees and everything you know so we always had these passion you know as as a child even my grandfather had his own land it's you know so we had this passion always had this passion for growing our own but then we moved to ireland we're like oh my god here it's cold what am i going to grow here <laughs> <laughs> what am i going to do panic 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 so i remember we started in, I was just saying on Instagram last week on a like a terrace house, we had the lights, you know, the grow lights. <laughs> we started growing basil indoors and parsley, but it was so much fun. And we had little blown out, you know, those green, green, um, green houses, you know, like the blue of the first storm of, in Ireland. The, you find them in your neighbor's garden. So we had them. And we just had so much fun. We, I think we tried at the beginning. We said, oh my God, what are we going to grow here? It's so cold. But we learned so much from years and years of trying that you can actually grow so much in Ireland outside. So we started there. And then we had, obviously, we were renting at the time. So we started really on our um, first property uh, maybe 10 years ago that we had a little gardens. So we had a greenhouse. We had about uh, 10 little raised beds and we had lovely pots and we had a pollinator area. It was really good. Like we had everything tomatoes, aubergines, all herbs, uh, courgettes, uh, cucumbers, um, ca- cavallonero, which I love and um, kale. Um, we had cauliflower, everything. We had a good variety peas everything so we like to have a good variety that's when we started to get in and said okay how about we would love to have a bigger space have a polytunnel and then we moved in this house then we have more space so there was one polytunnel no raised beds nothing so we went from one polytunnel to now 11 raised sorry 11 no dig beds and another tunnel in just two years (laughs) so that was fast so our thought, because obviously my husband did, I have to say, he did all the hard work about turning the compost, building the raised beds. So, you know, what has to be said has to be said. So he did all that part of constructing, you know, building. Um, and I helped with the design at the start. Obviously, now I'm helping more. I'm actually really getting into it. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we the idea for us was to store vegetables for the winter. Always have been. So how can we store it? So we bought a chest freezer. And we said, let's plant loads of peas, loads of crops that can be frozen. So that's why we have one full seven meter bed of peas, one full bed of broad peas, one full bed of onions. Because then you think, OK, if you have just half and half of a bed, you're not really going to store that for the winter. Maybe it'll do you for the summer. So we said, let's do that. And it worked because we had all the onions for the winter, garlic as well, and peas all winter last year as well we had um you can freeze pretty much everything really so we kind of said let's do crops that we can keep for the winter most obviously most of the crops so we grow a bit of everything and tomatoes obviously i'm a big fan of tomatoes and aubergines my aubergines big aubergine in my head (laughs) my massive aubergine so yes we grow a good bit what do you grow yourself
0: Oh, I love that. I, I didn't want to interrupt you at all. I literally was nearly itching to go, I can't <laughs> believe it. Storing all those vegetables. I've be chatting about this with people that I mentor either in personal training or growing uh, side visits that I go to. So the crops that I do recommend, such as similar to yourself, the great stores are squash and the variety is Crown Prince, an absolute beauty. Vitamin mm. A, they like, of so the antioxidant, B to carotene, super for your skin health, potatoes, onions, garlic, are pure breadwinners as well. Uh, broad beans as you said French beans are another real easy crop and I love crops that literally grow taller than yourself because literally you put in a seed into the ground and it is as big as your baby little fingers nail and as a result of that it goes up to 10, 12 and you can even go 15 feet long and all those things can be frozen mid-summer when you have a glut and then in the winter months people are like oh what can I grow now it's not what can you grow in the winter months but there are crops that do grow such as anything that's related to kale or broccoli, so mm. you have the oriental salads, mintsuna, tat soy, all those uh, winter salads. Uh, winter porcelain is another breadwinner for me uh, in the polytunnel that I get people to grow again because it's like similar to, I suppose, that I do train a couple of vegans and vegetarians. It's quite a meaty type of uh, lettuce, and a lot of people love that kind of especially coming into coming out of the winter months, and it's full of vitamin C as well. So those I suppose would be the crops that I, I do recommend people. And oh, and as well, I love Yakon and Jerusalem ash Chokes. I love those too. Have you come across those? Are you growing any of those? I'll have to search out if you're not. Uh yeah,
1: yakon no, but I know Yakon. and I I heard of it, but I must grow it now that you mention it. Yeah. I must grow when I come up across you. it. Yeah. What was the other one?
0: Uh, Jerusalem Jerusalem
1: oh. Chokes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course, Jerusalem artichokes. Yeah, we haven't actually put new ones in the ground. We brought them from our, our old uh, home. I love Jerusalem artichokes. they full of prebiotics to feed your gut. I love Jerusalem artichokes. Yes. <laughs> <There> <laughs> this you is go. great.
0: So uh, I suppose our connection is through, I, I would be correct in saying, a Featherfield Farm, and you buy certain products from them, and I, in the future, will be doing talks and, I uh, suppose, growing demonstrations up there. And it's great, I suppose, between Rob and Mark and everyone else involved yeah, at Federal Field Farm. And I suppose we can touch on what are the, I suppose, the benefits and the difference between organic foods, as opposed to conventional, whatever diet you pick, whether it be a vegan or a vegetarian or, as opposed to standard diet, what would be the differences in, I suppose, your own words?
1: Now, in terms of the main difference would be the higher mineral content. First of all, let's start with magnesium. Because magnesium is the most important mineral that is depleted with uh, conventional farming. Because the soil is so overworked and full of fertilizer, uh, chemically, chemical fertilizer, chemical nitrogen, and it just depletes the lovely balance of magnesium that it's, you know, it should be on the soil. And you're not gonna get that back. The only way to get that back is to grow cover crops like red clover, like feed the soil. You're feeding the soil back with microorganisms and it's going to give you back all the minerals, all the trace minerals. So magnesium would be a big one for me now, big. And they've actually tested broccoli and there's some very interesting papers. They tested regular broccoli and organic broccoli to check for magnesium content and mineral content. And the conventional one was really low compared to the organic so my my um suggestion would always be rather than having 10 pieces of conventional organic food non-organic food have one head of broccoli and you're getting the same amount as if you were to eat five times you know conventional so you, you need to eat less of the organic i've always said that you don't need to eat as much with organic food because they are packed with nutrients they're fresh they are locally grown ideally if you can get locally grown veg that would be amazing and so you're actually keeping all the nutrients which is um, really important so conventional the it's the travel involved as well and it's just the heavy tech the chemicals the pesticides as well that they use to preserve the food especially for traveling you know exporting i suppose
0: yeah that's the main Yeah, well, and I'm so glad you touched on it. It's about getting nutrient-dense foods, and that's key. And knowing where your food comes from. That's why I have the approach that the gold standard is local, fresh, and organic. When you do choose foods, making sure you do your utmost, and then people say, I find it difficult. And other people might say, I find it expensive. Well, a packet of seeds costs you very little. The likes of Oriental salads do contain a high percentage of magnesium. Why? Because they're related to broccoli, and you have the likes of rocket or arugula, depending on people listeners to this podcast. They're in America. Those things literally cost you less than a couple of euros or a couple of dollars, and you can have umpteen amount of harvest if you do it incorrectly, Cut and come again, individual harvests of singular individual leaves. All those things are at a finger's reach for you. I suppose, depending on where you are, and in on top of that, then growing your own is something that's free exercise.
1: Mm, definitely, it's the best, and it's the best actually, especially when to touch based on you know the lockdowns and w- the year and a half we all had. I think growing your own food and gardening in general—it's just been for me anyway—has helped me so much. It's like it's so rewarding to see what an actual seed comes to you know and what can actually give you in terms of food just one seed one little plant you know so I I find that really fascinating and just so rewarding that we can actually feed ourselves from one seed from one little seed you can grow to a big plant so um yeah no I, I love growing my own food so I'm trying new varieties and new things and be more efficient, you know, with my crops and have comes. So intercropping, so use the space I have when my tomatoes, for example, is the lettuces all under the rows and basil. And so, if you have small space, you can, you know, you can use intercrop it. So you don't need to have huge land to grow your foods, basically.
0: Totally, and I suppose that's such a great way to maybe even wrap up this podcast do your best if you can't get it low if whatever you do either if you can't buy it make sure you grow it but whatever you do add it to your diet it's kind of a reproach I would put to people and I suppose
1: definitely
0: yeah Virginia where's the best place for people to contact you if they want to get in touch with you
1: at the moment <laughs> Instagram I'm due um, I'm in the process of building my website which was you know I hope it'll be out soon because be all here doing this. Uh, but yes, Instagram, Virginia's Health Corner. It's me. And you'll find me on Instagram most of the times. <laughs> doing crazy dances and with all my vegetables.
0: <laughs> oh, there's two of us in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant. You know, I just want to say thanks very much for coming on. Uh, it's great to I suppose, connect with like-minded people and I suppose during this, I suppose, whole lockdown, I think people have got a little bit closer, even if it's through uh, social media or through the likes of Zoom. Uh, it's a great way of connecting people that I suppose are interested in similar topics, such as health and most certainly local, fresh and organic produce. And I can always uh, in these podcasts by saying stay tuned, stay classy and uh, keep it organic.
1: Thank you very much for having me. are welcome.